0: Get it, Monday, September 28th, 2020, Born the Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs, the podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. Hope everyone had a great week outside of podcast land. Stayed up a little late last night as I had to record my acceptance speech in case just in case born the battle wins the best government and organization podcast at the 15th annual podcast people's choice awards they still have the name of the podcast wrong on the nominee slate no worries Uh, i'm used to seeing born to battle in emails Uh, i know it's i know it's us they're airing a live award show on youtube on International Podcast Day, which is, uh, shoot, it's Wednesday, September 30th. Uh, You can follow the conversation about the awards on Twitter with the hashtag PCA20. Uh, Would be a good feather in the cap for the office uh, here at our digital media engagement team. And I know it would mean a lot to the intern staff. That is the lifeblood of what we do here at Born the Battle. So, uh, wish us luck. We have a new podcast releasing within the VA Podcast Network. You can find the teaser. It's out now uh, in your podcatcher of choice. It's called TAC Talks, T-A-C, and it's about how to contract with the VA and the Technology Acquisition Center, otherwise known as the TAC, uh, or with the government in general. Uh, There's some good tips in there. So, you know what? I'm just going to play the teaser real quick. Uh, It's about a minute. Here it is.
1: Are you a government contractor and have you ever wondered what is going through the contracting officer's head during a debrief or how the government even determines its evaluation approach? Are you on the government side and curious how to structure your source selection better? Are you interested in hearing from a VA senior executive? Come for a peek behind the acquisition curtain as we gain insights from highly esteemed acquisition professionals to include contracting officers and government attorneys and we dissect varying relevant topics. My name is Mark Junda, and I'm a service director at the Technology Acquisition Center in the Department of Veterans Affairs, where we do cradle-to-grave contracting for VA's IT needs, and we obligate $4 to $5 billion a year. We have some of the best contracting officers and attorneys in the business and make up, in my humble opinion, the best acquisition center in the federal government. I'll be your host for this five-episode series we call Tech Talks, where we will explore these topics and more.
0: Again, you can look for that five-part series to drop on your podcatcher of choice. Uh, actually, tomorrow. That's that's going to be tomorrow. Uh, you can subscribe to it now and get it right when it drops. Looking at the names of some of the podcast episodes, I think it's going to be a good podcast for veterans with an entrepreneurial mindset that want to contract with the government. So Go ahead, uh, check it out, sub, and, and listen for tomorrow. Okay, an update on the last couple of requests. Uh, I had events that overtook my time last week. Still getting on Pandora, and we're still coordinating with Sports for Vets. I haven't forgotten those that that are asking for specific things out of this podcast. Uh, But right now, it's a a one-man band with the admin of this operation. Uh, Reason I'm bringing that up is I got another request in the reviews this week. By the way, four reviews this week. That is great. And it's a great way to support this podcast because every review jumps us up in the algorithms and allows this podcast to be discovered by even more veterans. Uh, This one is from Coach Lit with a fire emoji. Love it. it. Says five stars. Great podcast. Very informative. I would like to hear a podcast about gray area soldiers benefits. What's new or what's coming soon? I served 22 years in the U.S. Army Reserve and have been a gray area soldier for 12 years. Thanks. Staff Sergeant Sturgis, retired. Uh, Coach Lit, Staff Sergeant Sturgis, thank you for the review. Uh, Marine here. I had to look up the term gray area soldiers, and I think it means reservists. I think it means reservists. Uh, As you know, I do have a benefits breakdown on the fives and zeros uh, for example, 215, 220, 225, etc. Sometimes they uh, an episode or off, depending on if there's a, uh, an anniversary of a battle and we have a veteran that comes on. Um, I do have two or three benefits breakdowns already in the can, plus the request from last week with the, with the Sports for Vets. So please understand the math on how these episodes get, do get released. However, I will put your reserve benefits request in the queue and look to coordinate that as well. So definitely thank you for your input. Uh, Next one says, and it looks like Blue One Ghost updated his review from last week. I love the fact that you probably want to leave more than one review. Um, But if you do, you have to change up the email and the name, because if you leave a review with the same name, same email, it just updates the review you originally put out. Uh, All right. This update is from Blue One Ghost. Still five stars. Outstanding. Says, awesome. Amazing episode. Candid and insightful discussion with Aaron Quinonez. Thank you for bringing this inspirational warrior story to your Born the Battle listeners. Uh, Blue One, thank you again for the review. As a fellow Marine that grew up in the woods of the Pacific Northwest, uh, Aaron's story was very impactful uh, to me for for many reasons. Uh, I thought it might have been a little long. It was a very long interview, but there was so much good and, like you said, insightful content in there. It was hard to leave any of it out. So I'm glad that you enjoyed that one, Blue One Ghost. All right, third one is from Millie Lady, five stars. Glad to find your podcast, dear Tanner. I have just discovered your podcast and I've been listening to Born the Battle since then. I appreciate the information provided and I'm inspired by the folks that you have had on your show. Thank you for all you do for vets, Millie Lady. Thank you for what you're doing for vets by simply reviewing this show. Uh, you just giving that simple review, you're helping it. You're helping this podcast become more visible to even more veterans out there in podcast land. So thank you for your feedback and kind words. And yes, our guests are pretty amazing. Uh, I got to agree with you there. Uh, I've enjoyed talking with every single one of them and bringing those conversations to you. All right. Last one is from Chewy Edo, like is it like Chewy Edo, 79, five stars. Veterans must listen pod. I found this pod off a VA email. Ah, lots of great info and real time updates recommend to all vets and their dependents uh cheery ito uh, you are smart first of all for signing up and following the vet resources newsletter because there are including the podcast there are all kinds of great things in there for veterans i'm going to plug it real quick it's the va's weekly newsletter vet resources and you can quickly sign up for it at va.gov forward slash vet resources we here at born the battle greatly appreciate the support from that newsletter because we know the power that it has to reach you directly Uh, to to veterans within the VA system. So, a quick shout out to them and a big thank you to you, Chirito, for reviewing the podcast and for highlighting the newsletter in the review. Okay. News releases. We just have one this week. So, it's kind of cool. A little little flip here um, between news releases and reviews. First one, only one says, for immediate release, VA offers debt relief to veterans impacted by natural disasters. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs recently announced its commitment to extend debt relief to veterans adversely impacted by natural disasters. The department recognizes veterans and beneficiaries are negatively impacted by the wildfires and hurricanes, prompting this offering of financial debt relief. This includes the suspension of debt collection action for up to 90 days or extending repayment terms on pre-existing VA debts, whichever the veteran prefers. So, you know, unlike some of the banks that, that are doing forbearance, this is an actual suspension. To request assistance for VA financial debt relief, veterans should contact the VA Debt Management Center, also a former guest on the show, at 1-800-827-0648. Like I said, the Debt Management Center was also our last born the battle benefits breakdown. And I think they were on episode 190 as well as they came on originally to talk about suspending debt payments over COVID. Uh, Two very good veterans that run that office, a Marine and a soldier. Uh, They're doing good things over there, leading that that office and taking care of their, their fellow veterans. All right. So to close out Suicide Awareness Month, this week's guest is an Army veteran and you're about to hear what was supposed to be her farewell note when she was contemplating suicide. However, through writing that note, she found a new passion, poetry. And before COVID, she traveled the country to share the art form that saved her life. And I have no doubt that she will again when the country opens back up. So without further ado, here is Army veteran, Erica. Land and her first ever poem, War Song. Enjoy.
2: War song. When I turn on the radio and I hear a war song thanking me and my fellow warriors for a job well done. As innocent as it may be. I am filled with tears, not tears of joy, but of pain, excruciating pain that punches me in the chest, pain that stems from those horrific thoughts I have when a thank you war song reminds me of all the friends I have lost in my heart begins to palpitate. See, I'm reminded of the daily fighting, dodging many bullets, the ducking for cover from an incoming mortar. I'm reminded of all the little kids who've been killed. Some of them innocently, some as enemies. I'm reminded of the strides I have taken to not be afraid of children who want nothing more than to shake a soldier's hand. See, I ask you to not sing me a war song, not because I don't appreciate it. I understand that you want me to know that my fighting was not in vain and not everyone takes what I've done for granted. I ask you to not sing me a war song, because when I hear one. Images begin to kaleidoscope. But see, not in that good, amazing geometric way. Images of blood and guts bounce and collide off each other, awakening my other senses that won't let me forget the stench of charred flesh. The way my comrades' body parts felt in my hands. The screams of women, men, children, and my fellow soldiers alike, the way the dirt tasted when it splattered on my teeth after that IED exploded and I was thrown to the dirt. See, I'm not, I'm not trying to put a damper on thank you war songs, but when I hear one, I find myself crying because I'm filled with emotion that rips into my core. As I'm reminded of all the friends I have lost and how powerless I was, I'm reminded of the many women and men I've had to watch transition from this world into the next, offering comfort, but nothing more. I could not help them in their last hour. I could do nothing about being sent to war. I can't do anything about the tragedies that come along with war. But I can ask you to not sing me another war song.
0: Okay, again, that poem was called War Song. And it was performed by this week's guest, Erica Land. Erica, thank you for coming on Born the Battle. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So real quick, um, I just want to talk about it for a sec. That was a pretty um, visceral piece. Yes. It, It not only made me pay attention to each word but each syllable and each of the tonalities behind it.
2: Yeah, um, I'm glad that you did. That's what I want people to do when they hear my poetry.
0: What was your inspiration behind War Song? Was there a song that you heard that spurred the piece?
2: So I listened to all genres of music and I was listening to um, some country music at the moment and a song came on that was thanking soldiers um, for their service. And it was a really happy song. But in hearing it, um I broke down I was crying a lot I couldn't get up out of the bed because it spurned so many thoughts that like from the war yeah and so it brought up all of this pain that I hadn't dealt with with friends passing away, people I didn't know, the injuries that I'd seen, um, and feeling helpless and hopeless yeah and so um I think, I'm pretty sure I picked up a pen to maybe write that last letter, um, explaining everything, um, of you know, why I was like going to take my life, but instead that poem came out. And so everything in the poem is true. I've experienced, um, firsthand or secondhand, like seeing it and being there, even though, you know, it may have been a, a battle buddy going through it. Yeah. Um, 90% of it, I experienced myself. And so the poem is really life saving.
0: I was going to ask you about that. You, you came in, you were in the army as a pharmacy tech, and we'll get into your deployments in a bit, but that poem, there was part of it that was about a convoy. And I was going to ask you uh, the exact same thing you just answered. Are all your poems personal experiences or are they inspired by fellow soldiers, uh, sailors, airmen, Marines, people that you've met?
2: 95% of them are about me or someone directly adjacent. So, I can recall two right now um, that are war-related that I've written that were about um, two other soldiers. So, but it was things that I witnessed with that soldier that they were going through.
0: Got you. Uh, The convoy, was that something that you were part of or uh, something that you you had uh, experienced from, from a friend's perspective?
2: Um, no, I wasn't in a convoy and it's, it wasn't actually a convoy. Um, we were in Mosul and so they used to bomb us a lot. So the scenes about like the bombs landing next to you Yep. and yes, so that's what it's about.
0: I can totally understand. Um, I remember I was in Al-Assad air base out in uh, Al-Anbar province out west. And mm-hmm. you know the rockets and the mortars. Uh, I just remember one hitting near the cans so close that a uh, man it just it just came out like daylight at one point.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, no, I can definitely understand from the from a, a rocket and a mortar perspective. Going well if it's if it's my time, it's my time. Mm-hmm. Really, really Im- impactful poem that uh, that uh, you know. Uh, I'm glad you sent that to me. Uh, I had a journalism instructor once tell me that. Your story needs to be able to stop the person who is chopping celery while cooking dinner and pay attention. Mm. And I just your poem definitely made me stop from chopping my celery.
2: Thank you. I'm um, I wrote it it I mean it's true. It's just a story that came out in a way I did not expect. I wasn't a poet before I wrote it. Um but
0: That was your first poem? That was
2: the first poem, yes. And like I said, wow. it, it was supposed to be a suicide letter, but apparently I was supposed to still be here. <laughs> and um, that's what came out. And so I was just like, I just wrote it. I hadn't really been able to talk to anyone about it before. And so I don't know if it was just me listening to the music at that moment that inspired it the way that it came out. Um But it really opened up that door for me to be able to express myself, which is what I needed at that time.
0: It's amazing. So let's get into your service that began this journey. Um, What made you join the service in the first place? Where were you and what year was it?
2: (laughs) So um, I actually joined um, before I got out of high school. So I joined in 2011. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was thinking 9-11 and, and I joined right before uh, 9-11 okay. happened. <laughs>
1: yeah. So yeah.
2: Um, I joined, I think the August before.
0: So you like joined the delayed entry program while you were in high school in like 2000 and like 2000.
2: Yeah. You know, it, it had went, went around and I hadn't thought about it that much. Yeah. Um, what that really meant. And then, so when it did, um, when nine eleven came up, it really put things in perspective.
0: What was your recruiter's reaction to nine eleven? Did they bring it up to you guys? How did they How did they bring it up to you?
2: Um, they did more uh, when we were would go and train and do the the physical training mm-hmm. um, and tell us that you know it, it's a real possibility that you may go to war, but you know. It, you're you're going to be doing a great thing for the country, and so it was just like a lot of reassurances, and a lot of speeches that had to deal with that. So got you, you know, but it didn't de- it didn't deter me.
0: The reason I asked that is because I was in the delayed entry program when we invaded Iraq in o three,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and my I just remember my my recruiter calling us all in into the mall, and we had a we had a little formation. And he pretty much drew a line and was like, I understand what you you guys understand what's going on. I understand what I'm asking of you. If anybody wants to leave right now, no no, uh, no harm, no foul. And none of us did. I just remember that formation, mm-hmm. just all of us staying there. So it's the reason I asked that, because I, I feel like we have a similar experience. You were in the delayed entry program during 9-11, I was in during, during the invasion. And I just wanted to know if you had some kind of experience like that. Um, so you entered the army in, uh, shortly after September 11th, mm-hmm. uh, while you were, while you were in during your entire time in service, give me either a best friend or a greatest mentor.
2: It would have to be Sergeant Smitic, um, who I'd, um, just run into, um, a few times. And then, you know, it was kind of like, hey, you know, just encouragement every time we passed. And then we were deployed together. And then when we came back, we ended up still being friends. And we are to this day.
0: Do you got a story about you and uh, Sergeant Smitik from back in the day?
2: Um, She's, she's slightly older than I am. Um, but, you know, she had been in the military. And so I think that like... I, she, I don't, yeah, I don't think she was a sergeant at this time. But it was like we met, and I was trying to like hang out and be friends. And she was like, "You're too young to like hang out with me." <laughs> you know, <laughs> and so you know, like, you know, I can't go and you know, grab a beer or anything like that. So it's like you know, I'll see you. You know, I'll give you some encouraging words, but you're too young to hang out. And so now we're we're still friends. So. <laughs>
0: Do you remember when you were able to finally go have that first beer with her?
2: Um, It was after we came back from Iraq because I actually turned – well, I uh... – I've never really been a drinker, but it was after we came back from Iraq. Sure, because by that time I was I was over twenty one.
0: Gotcha. I think it's just a little apropos once you turn twenty one, you kind of just want to have that experience, and it's good that you got to have that with her after so many times of yeah. saying like "Go home, kid," you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. Um, okay, so pharmacy tech, correct? Correct. Now, uh, while you were deployed, did you stay in the pharmacy or did you have to work in different places doing different things? Like, for example, when I I landed in Iraq, I was admin and then we had too many admin guys and they were like, hey, go work in an S2 for seven months. So, I did Intel work for seven months. Did did you stay pharmacy or did you move around?
2: I stayed pharmacy. So... You know, pharmacy is, you know, in the medical core, so <laughs> yep. it's a little bit uh, different. And so working in a hospital environment, um, pharmacy techs pretty much stay contained to that area. Yeah. But when you're deployed, you have to just do pretty much anything that needs to be done. Um, around, you know, outside of having doing surgeries on people, yeah. So, yeah, um, you just float around and help in that capacity.
0: Got you, got you. Um, so, with with your deployment, did you did you move around the hospital uh, other than the pharmacy area, like helping out, doing things?
2: Yes, wherever there's medication needed, and we have to uh, keep track of narcotics and everything. So, I've gone into the OR. A couple of times, um, and into the emergency department, making sure that uh, I was able to dispense the medications.
0: So you had to keep the, uh, track of the narcot- narcotics that were administered to patients in the ER and OR.
2: Correct. Right.
0: Erica, what was the what was the difference between the first time that you walked into one of those scenarios and the last time?
2: Well, um, I I would say it was a transition from shock to sorrow. Mm. So when we first got there, you don't know what to expect. Um, You go from a it went, I guess, from fight or flight to a. It was like, oh, this is happening. Everything you learn, you need to try to remember and help these people get through, you know, this medical situation. Um, And you don't know, you know, what's going to happen. You see the injuries, you get a little bit sick from it. um, But you say, you know, this is what I am here for. I'm okay. I have to perform a job Um, and just really trying to figure things out. Because it was, you know, the sirens are going off. We got there. We arrived. And two days later, we had a mass casualty situation um, where some soldiers were in a firefight. Yeah. And so it's like we haven't even fully gotten acclimated to being here on the FOB. And now we have 10 patients that are coming through the doors. Wow. And so you have to figure out how to take care of them. Yeah. And so it's that fight or flight, but then towards the end and, you know, you figure out what you're doing and this is such a common occurrence, you know, it's just, you move into having that sorrow and trying to offer as much comfort to anyone that you can and not really focusing on yourself. Yeah. It's like, so you're just in a mode of giving everything so that you don't have to process anything on your own.
0: Incredible. Um, Erica, when and where did you decide to leave the military?
2: Actually, I um, when I I got injured in that blast um, where it fractured my foot extremely bad.
0: Oh my gosh! W- but yeah, r- r- um, run us through that if you if you can.
2: So um, we were on five Diamondback in the middle of Mosul, and so this is two thousand and five. They were shooting bombs on to the base from the Tigris River and uh, you know you try to run and take cover after the sirens go off, but one of them landed and it threw me into some rocks um, and like on a curb and so my foot caught that and it fractured it. Mm. But again, the adrenaline and you're running around doing everything, you don't really you know, think about it. Uh, my bones weren't sticking out. I had my boots on. And then after like two days, I was like, my foot's really hurting. And so they x-rayed it and gave me a cast. And I just continued to walk on it. So, But the, by the time I came back, my bone just healed. Um, just all weird. Yeah. And so they had to do surgery and everything to actually cut the bone out and so it's like they, they detached my fourth toe cut the bone out put the toe back on and I grew the bone back Wow! Um, and then so I pretty much couldn't run after that so I was medically boarded out
0: got you um, what, what what year is that for your transition
2: um, I got out in 2009
0: 2009
2: yeah so I had this surgery in I came back in 2006 I had the surgery in 20, 2007, and then I was out by 2009.
0: So that was kind of right around the, the Great Recession. Um, mm-hmm. What was that What was transition like for you in 2009?
2: It wasn't bad, um, quite honestly. The, I was in a pilot program that they started um, where they were making the transition from the military into the VA system a lot simpler so it was fairly easy and all of like the services and stuff were pretty laid out. Um, when I got out though, I, I went to school too soon after I got out. And so I think that started snowballing everything with the post-traumatic stress disorder, um, that I had already had and was exhibiting a lot of symptoms when I first came back, but I never, got into a space of being able to heal from it. And so it's been just a long drawn out process for me.
0: What are, what are some things that you've experienced, um, in your post-traumatic stress,
2: uh, journey? Um, we can run the gamut of symptoms. <laughs> <laughs> um, every category, uh, gotcha. you know, I, it, it, yeah, I have been through from, um, Anger outbursts to having anxiety, um, depression, um, just lashing out at other people, lashing out at myself, not really caring about anything, um, feeling guilty about things that happened. Um, you name it, I've I've experienced it. So what
0: um what was the catalyst to make you recognize that you had PTSD? to make, to make you take a step back and go, yo, this ain't normal. Was it somebody else? Was it you? What was the, was it an event? Yeah,
2: it, it was an event. Um, I was staying with my friend and a sis in my sister when I came back and we were in the car and I was driving and we weren't even that far out of the neighborhood. Um, and I got pulled over. And so my stress level shot through the roof and, you know, the cop knocked on the window and told me to roll it down. And then it goes black. And then the next thing I remember is I was sitting on the curb in handcuffs. Oh, wow. So I don't know what happened in that time frame, And I don't want to ask them because I'm, I don't want to rehash things with them. Um, but yeah, I don't know what happened. And luckily, you know, I came out of that situation okay, but it was kind of like, how am I on the curb? Like, what happened here? Oh, maybe something is wrong. <laughs> and so,
1: <laughs> you know,
2: <laughs> so I went to to therapist and have, I've had a lot of therapy, Um, but, you know, there were a lot of gaps yeah. when I came back that you know, aided, you know, this, this long journey of healing and, you know, me not utilizing all the services were there. Um, you know, there were, there were just a lot of gaps.
0: Is Do you, do you utilize uh, VA services right now?
2: Yes, I do. I do. And it, it was, it was contentious at first. <laughs> sure.
0: Absolutely. I think, I think it's fair to say that um, the VA 10 years from now is not the same VA that it is today. Correct. Um, and I think that's fair to say, and I think I think it's fair to say there's been a lot of progress on that front.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And I will say this: the as contentious as it has been, the VA has consistently been there. So I couldn't be here without them.
0: Is there a service you want to give us? Uh, you want to recognize as something that, that's helped you immensely that some people may not know about?
2: Um the the art therapy track in the like in the mental health division yeah um i've i've had a lot of different types of therapy with the va um but once they you know started getting me into writing like writing out what happened into writing therapy and art therapy that really opened up a door for me rather than just um you know, it being medication-based or all talk-based. Got you. Because I had to be able to get to being able to talk. And so that step was the art therapy and writing it out and processing it that way. So now I can go and sit in the therapist and talk to them um, and verbalize myself.
0: Got you. Got you. So, so I, I'd never heard that before that art art was a step to be able to talk. That's cool. That's really cool. Um. Mm-hmm. So, getting into writing, is that how you got to the letter that enabled you to discover poetry?
2: No, that was after. Okay. That was after. I wrote it and I held on to it for a long time. And then I decided to share it with someone. And it was very eye opening for them. Because even though I'm struggling with post traumatic stress disorder, So are the other people adjacent to me and around me. Yeah. You know, you may not realize how much they have to deal with it, too, in their roller coaster with your PTSD. And so it was like, wow, like, maybe you should share this with other people, too. And uh, so I did that and then, you know, got into programs and was able to start writing it out. And I wrote a poetry book, which was totally unexpected in my life.
0: <laughs> so, well, you are, you are described as a, as a war poet. You're someone that delves into vocabulary a lot, obviously. What does that term mean to you?
2: Um, just someone who's able to channel their exper- war experiences through the tradition of written poetry yeah because um, a lot of different things you know to me are considered poetry but the written traditional forms of poetry being able to you know speak on what happened and create that capsule for other people
0: i think uh i i didn't i haven't really delved into poetry much in my life uh, in general but I think, and I think you're the first, second person I really sat down and talked about poetry with, um, the, the other person being, uh, is a, is a friend of my dad's and we call him the poet of death. Um, he writes poetry for, for funerals for people that have died. And mm-hmm. it, when he writes, I mean, he may have never even known them, but just talking with the friends and family, he is able mm-hmm. to capture the essence of that person in a poem. I mean, he wrote one for my grandfather uh, and performed it at his funeral. And I, I mean, I broke down. Um, mm. Talk to me about the power of poetry that you've seen. Uh, Cause you, you, you currently, I mean, before COVID-19, before coronavirus, you were traveling all over the the, the country. Talk to me about yes. some of the, the power of poetry uh, fr- from your perspective, from what you've seen.
2: Poetry is, A window into the soul for me. It's a reflection of life, whether that be your life capturing someone else's life or just the nature of life around us. And a lot of times we aren't able to express things verbally and talk to each other. So Poetry allows me to connect with people and to realize that I'm not the only one going through this and there is someone else who may be going through this. Um, And so it's just a written form of saying all of that.
0: Have people come to you and said, I know exactly what you're talking about in your poetry?
2: Every time I perform. And so that is like, like, because it's, and I think that's because it's true poetry. Like this has really happened in life. And so it makes people stop and listen because they could experience it or they know someone that has, you know, life isn't always, you know, rainbows and, you know, sunflower fields and stuff like that. Hershey um, kisses
0: and unicorns.
2: Right. And so, you know, it's like, it's a metaphor. It's a reflection. So poetry's metaphor is a reflection of what's going on. Yeah. And so this is a reflection of a soul. Hmm. And we all have those and we can connect. Hmm. And it can be life-saving.
0: It's life-saving in what way?
2: Opening that door for people. Who didn't know they had a voice or for people who try to hide things and bury them deep. It's a way to say, you know, art can be whatever you want it to be. Just express yourself. Yeah. And so when people, when I say I'm an artist, most people think that I paint and they're like, oh, you know, what do you paint and stuff like this? And I'm like, no. I am a poet and I write it and I speak it and so that opens up that door of anything can be art if you love to build engines engines are a work of art then you can do that to express yourself and just pour it into that you know and channel that energy and I think that you know it just it can open so many doors
0: i I completely agree every anything can be an art you know I I look at my profession, um, but you know, as a video editor, well, as an art, um, of course, I mean, look at print you talk about the spoken mm-hmm. word, look at prints, you with know, the artists, right? Um, mm-hmm. abs- absolutely. 120% 20% agree with you on that. Um, I want to get into the business a little bit uh, of being a poet. Now I was supposed to interview you while, in person and I regrettably can't, but talk to me about the road. Where do you go? Um, where do you want to go? How do you find your gigs? Got a story, (laughs) you know, how does, how does all that work?
2: Um, a lot of time, energy and determination on my part. Um, I am a dreamer and believe that, you know, if I want to make it happen, I have to do that because at the moment I don't have anyone else to help me and I may never have anyone to help me. Um, but I need to share my story so that I can hopefully help and save someone else. Yeah. And so I book all the shows myself. I do a lot of internet searching for theaters and try to find cheap ones. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, <laughs> you know I call them and I book them. Uh, most of the time it's for one day because I can't afford to do a week theater run yeah. um, for like, $3,000, but I can get in there for one day for like 300. So, so are um, you, are
0: you booking these yourself? You're marketing yourself. You're just straight cold calling theaters.
2: Yes. And sending emails. And then, um, so I'll try to set the tour up. Like, um, I travel in an RV yeah. And so that allows makes it a lot easier because I just like a tour bus, I have all my equipment and everything and I don't have to get hotels and not too many flights. Um, so I just look around for, you know, areas that that have military um, and I look for theaters that are, that are, again, cheap. I'll look at all of them in the area, pick one call them and ask them if a date's available, do that and then just make my way out there. Um, and so I try to look for like festivals and contests, um, and try to enter those and travel to them.
0: Gotcha. I mean, Eric, I feel like you and I are a little bit of a, of a kindred spirit a little bit. Um, when I first got out of the Marine Corps, <laughs> I was in Seattle and I totally thought about buying an RV and hooking it up as a video editing station and just going up to Vancouver. I knew they were making films and just try to freelance my way yeah. in there. Uh, it's, it's incredible. Uh, You talk about an RV. I'm like, yo, I've had that. I've, I've I've literally had the same idea, Um, Yeah, but you're doing it. You're doing it.
2: Yeah. It takes a lot of, a lot, a lot of time and energy and I don't have a marketing team. So I try to, you know, send emails to people saying, Hey, can you come to this show? You know, sometimes people show up a lot of times people don't show up, but I figure that it's that one person in the audience who I was supposed to reach tonight.
0: Absolutely, 110%.
2: And so I do it, and they, most of the time, like I said, every show I do, someone comes up and thanks me for sharing that story. Um, A lot of veterans, you know, one of my shows in Atlanta, this gentleman was in town from Maryland and came, and he was 76 years old, and he was like, the things you went through, I went through in Vietnam. And it's still the same. And I want to go back and tell the guys in my you know, uh, talk therapy group about the show. So that's what it's about. That one person.
0: We all share the same story. Um, mm-hmm. How about your partner in crime? Um, is, is she involved? Does she help out?
2: She, yeah, she does. She does. Um, I couldn't pull it off without her because she runs my tech um, and, you know, is pretty much the roadie with me, setting the theaters up, packing up the equipment, um, driving when I'm tired, uh, you know, making sure that I've I've hit all the checkpoints. Um, Yeah, but most importantly, like I said, she sits there and, you know, I have it set up Like on a slideshow, so she'll make sure I run that. Make sure that my mics are good, and she switches the mics when they need to be.
0: (laughs) Straight roadie, straight roadie. What's your wife's name? Carissa. 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 Shout out! Shout out to all the wise. My my wife. um, I'm the dreamer, like you, and and my my head. I I look at the clouds and I dream about the you know what's in the clouds, and she'll build the ladder. That's that's my wife. Yeah, she's she's the ladder builder. Um, so I. Shout out to all the wives out there. Um, Erica, what's one thing that you learned in service? And we asked this from everybody on Born the Battle. What's one thing that you learned in service that you carry with you and what you do today?
2: My life is important to the mission, whatever that is. Uh, it's taught me how to think outside of myself. And so any action that I take I've learned is important to everyone else in us accomplishing that mission. Mm -hmm. So what I have to do is like, I have to tread carefully and I have to make sure that the things I'm trying to do will (laughs) positively impact what's going on around me. Because quite honestly, before going to Iraq, you know, I was, you know, young and selfish and it was just all about me and, what I wanted to do. And so, the military, you know, helped me see that it's not just me in this world. Check. And we have to, uh, you know, I have to be, help other people.
0: Got you. Um, One thing going back to, to, to being on the road. Um, So, do you do you do you charge people to come in? Is it? Do, are you ever sponsored to where there's like free tickets for veterans? Uh, how how is it? Where, I mean, you're you're spending money to go out there.
2: I, right, and I give them away for free. <laughs> That's the one thing that, like, uh, you know, my wife is like, okay, if you're gonna give the tickets away, maybe we can figure out how to sell some books then. <laughs>
0: Um, because, <laughs> <laughs> so for you, for yeah. you, this ain't um, about money. This ain't about the money right now.
2: It's, it's, it's not, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to change my thinking on that because I do have a family, but I, I didn't, I didn't write that first form for the money, you know, and I might not have realized it at that moment, but I realize yeah. it now my story is help other people. And so I go to these places and I, you know, give the tickets to veterans, sometimes I might sell them for like a dollar to veterans, depending on like how expensive the theater yeah. is. Um, even it, it, my story is, f- because I was in the medical field, it's also geared toward them. You know, the police officers, the people that work in hospitals, the firefighters, they also deal with PTSD. And so this this story is really just for anyone that that has PTSD. And so, I give too many tickets away because it's it's a show to help people, you know, yeah, and I can't I don't know, I need to charge <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean
0: i mean you you didn't you didn't start this as a business model, you started this as a way to just help you or help help others
2: right yeah and i and I've been told when i like when I did it in Plano the lady came up to me and she said, I want you to know something. She said, this show is not just for people that have PTSD. It's also for people, you know, who are dealing with that person to have PTSD. And it's not just for, um, victims. It's for people on the other side of that also, because she didn't, I, not to go too far, but she was dealing with stuff like in an abusive relationship and saw how it could be helpful to the abuser, you know? Got you. And so she was saying that it's it's truly for some of everyone because it's just an honest outlook. And I'm really honest. These are some of the things that happened. It wasn't all pretty on my end. You know, there were things that I you know was putting on to people and expressing anger towards them because i was hurting so bad on the inside
0: she said it was therapy for the abuser yes wow um yeah so do you think this is more therapy for for your audience or for you or both
2: both yeah both every time i perform the play i get a little bit better because I'm I'm telling it and people ask me questions about things that I hadn't processed yet. And so it's giving me that opportunity to process it because, you know, I have a talk back at the end because uh, it's not just like I said, it's not just about me going to perform and collect money. Yeah. So I have a talk back and, you know, I stay in there and talk with people as long as I have that theater. Um about it they can ask me in a gamut of things i always say i'll I'll try to answer everything (laughs) (laughs) i have my limitations but you know i I let people ask me and try to give them information about what ptsd is so the va has provided me with you know um hundreds of packets of information about post-traumatic stress disorder what it is yeah i've got in magnets from the va um, with the PTSD hotline on it. So, it's really an informational show.
0: That's cool. I think uh, sometimes the VA doesn't realize it's, you, you give that to a veteran. They're able to actually communicate that to even more veterans. So, there's a force multiplier in there mm-hmm. when you're able to do something like that. That's awesome to hear. Um, Erica, is there a veteran nonprofit or an individual that you've worked with in the veteran community uh, that you that you have an experience with whom you'd like to mention?
2: Um. Yes. So the Veterans Empowerment Organization is the very first one that I worked with in Atlanta. And they took a chance on me just really walking into their office and saying, hey, this is what I'm trying to do. And they did not close the door to me. They received me as a small donor as if I were a big donor because i was trying to I, and this is again me with the money <laughs> so the proceeds from the show that, that i do that i do make right the proceeds from the show i donate to you straight um, an organization <laughs> i know yeah chris is like <laughs>
0: you killing me chris is like Get gas money and you're like no <laughs> what does veteran empowerment do what, what what's their mission
2: they are they help homeless veterans okay um, and they, sp- and they focus on, you know, their healthcare with making sure they get the mental health services and making sure that, uh, you know, they go to the doctors and they offer shuttles back and forth, um, and they provide housing. Um, they have women's housing and men's housing to help get homeless veterans off of the streets. And so they, they were the first organization I partnered with. Um, and so I try to, when I go to each city. Wherever the show is, I'll find a a homeless veterans program to donate money to them. And then if I can't find one, then the fallback is always the Veterans Empowerment Organization in Atlanta for me to donate the proceeds of the show to um, just so I can help, you know, because there are many times that I could have been homeless. Mm. And again, you know, either my family or the VA or uh, offshoot of the VA was able to help keep me afloat to get to the space that I'm in today. And so it's just my way of giving back and hopefully helping. And I give them tickets to the show. And I'm like, if you think a veteran, you know, it it is, you know, mentally sound enough to come and endure listening to the story. Here's a ticket for them to come for free. So
0: So it's a way for you to pay it forward. So gotcha. Is Atlanta your hometown? It is. Figure. Try to figure the connection there.
2: Um, I'm a I'm a traveler.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. I'm from Seattle. I feel you. I'm the same exact way. Absolutely. Um, Erica, is there <laughs> is there anything else that uh I haven't asked that you think it's important to share?
2: Um, I just I really want everyone to just find a way to express themselves, and don't think that you know don't you don't have to follow anyone else's pattern. It doesn't even have to be. You know too acceptable to someone um, just do something to channel that energy that you have into something positive positive. and so I'm a bit advocate of art therapy and again like I said it can be anything that you like to do <laughs> um, you just want to sit and cut small squares of paper it makes you feel good then you know you can do that um, so just try to you know find ways to be happy every day
0: awesome Um, I might end it there or, um, do you have a poem that you'd like to go out with?
2: Um, no, no, (laughs) I wrote a poem. Here's the thing. I wrote a poem. Um, it's not polished so I can try to read it for you. (laughs)
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: It's, it's not polished, but um, it's for just everyone. First responders, military. Okay. It doesn't have a title yet. All right. So here we go. Wow. Strength can't be measured along the distance of a timeline. Can't be pinpointed to any specific time. And I know that you have been a servant of the people for a long time. And so I thank you. And I ask you to please remember long before you were a warrior, before you were taught to be Atlas, before you were taught to be their attorneys of power, before you were trained to supply medical aid, before you were equipped with how to put out fires, before you learned how to sanitize the remnants of what's left behind, you were taught to stand and be the face of adversity to be selfless under star-spangled banners, to be a quiet ambassador for those in need. The elementary part of you knew to be selfless, knew that you would be a servant of nourishment on so many levels, knew that you were going to be the best to do your job and to be strong enough to navigate circumstances that make us all blue. And so I thank you and ask you to remember to please be proud to wear the rainbow of stripes that make up the servant's core. Because at your core, you are here to make the world go around and even though you work in the shadows and maybe pass by without being seen, your work behind the scenes is the most honorable fight I've ever seen. So I encourage you to keep putting up the good fight and I appreciate you and so does the rest of humankind.
1: There are nearly 2 million women veterans who served, and deserve, the best care anywhere. VA is dedicated to meeting the unique needs of all women veterans. VA offers comprehensive primary care, specialty care, mental health care, and women's health specialty care, such as advanced breast and gynecological care, maternity care, and infertility treatments. At each of the 168 VA medical centers nationwide, a Women
0: Veterans Program Manager is available to advise, advocate, and coordinate care for women
1: veterans. Women veterans who are interested in receiving care at VA should call the Women Veterans Call Center at 855-VA-WOMEN or 855-829-6636 or contact the nearest VA medical center and ask for the Women
0: Veterans Program Manager. For more information about benefits and other services for women veterans, visit www.va.gov slash women vet. I want to thank Erica for sharing her story and her incredible talent with us. For more information on Erica, go to ericaland.com forward slash about hyphen Erica. Erica is spelled E-R-I-K-A. Our Voter of the Week nomination comes from a recent article from the Stars and Stripes that came across my Twitter feed. Steve Stibbins got his start in journalism at age 12 as the editor of the Camp Woodland Springs Echo, a mimographed summer camp newspaper in Texas. He later worked as a $10 a night proofreader with the Granite Prairie Daily News in Texas before enlisting in the Marines in 1953. Stibbins whose first real name was Cecil, picked up the nickname after visiting a buddy from boot camp and his Russian mother, who couldn't pronounce his last name, said his daughter Suzanne Stibbins of Arlington, Texas. His first assignment in uniform was as a clerk in South Korea, but he soon became a correspondent with the 1st Marine Division at Camp Pendleton, California. In 1962, Stibbins joined the Pacific Stars and Stripes in Tokyo, and was the newspaper's first reporter to set foot in Vietnam later that year. His biography states, Steve roamed the Mekong Delta and the Central Highlands with Army Special Forces A-teams and advisors until the Marines arrived in 1965. Stibbins' reports from that time were hardcore combat journalism pieces. For example, for a story headlined, Special Forces Sergeant Has nerve wracking Job, from January 15th, 1964. He photographed a Koho tribesman crossing a mountain stream and noted the blood sucking leeches on the surrounding trails. The report describes a battle with the Viet Cong near the Dam Po in which a bazooka that was wielded by a Montagnard misfired. The air might have saved the life of an American advisor from the Okinawa based 1st Special Forces Group at whom the bazooka was pointed at, Stevens wrote. For his work with stars and stripes in Vietnam, Stibbins was awarded a bronze star with a combat V-device. He was named the 1963 Military Photographer of the Year, and one of his photographs, showing a weary, unshaven Special Forces soldier, was picked by President Lyndon Johnson as the president's choice. Many of his contemporaries, such as war correspondents Joseph Galloway and Peter Arnett, went on to stellar careers. Gunnery Sergeant Stibbins was less known, but it didn't bother him, his daughter said. Sergeant Stripes sent Stibbins to the Philippines after he returned from Vietnam. Uh, Stibbins joined Leatherneck magazine and spent another two years covering the Marines in Vietnam. Stibbins left active duty in 66 to join the Associated Press in Mobile, Alabama, but continued service in the Marine Corps Reserve. In early 1967, he was sent back to Vietnam for another year covering action on the demilitarized zone and at Quezon as an AP war correspondent. He returned to the United States to become the AP's photo editor in Dallas. Other journalism assignments included work as a bureau chief at Gannett's Florida Today in Vero Beach, Florida, and as a reporter at the San Diego Union, the Dallas Times-Herald, Newsweek Magazine, and the Texas Business Magazine. Stibbins, whose photographs appear in the Ken Burns documentary *The Vietnam War*, wrote a book about the first helicopter unit in Vietnam, *The Nights Over Delta: An Oral History of the 114th Aviation Company in Vietnam, 1963 to 72*. The veteran newsman never did talk much about the war or its controversies, according to his daughter. He didn't have political opinions. Suzanne Stibbins says he did his job. It was always the relationships with people. That's what he was about. Sadly, Steve Stibbins recently passed away this month on September 19th at the age of 84. Galloway marked his friend's death on Facebook by reposting photographs, including one of Stibbins, in 62, with the Filipino freedom fighter Emilio, and I hope I say this right, Aguinaldo, who was the country's first president. Steve was fine company in a foxhole or watering hole, and we'll miss him greatly, Galloway wrote. Marine veteran Cecil Steve Stibbins. We honor his service. That's it for this week's episode. If you yourself would like to nominate a Born the Battle Veteran of the Week, you can. Just send an email to podcast at va.gov, include a short write-up, and let us know why you'd like to see him or her as the Born the Battle Veteran of the Week. And if you like this podcast episode, hit the subscribe button. Smash that button. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, pretty much any podcasting app not to phone, computer, tablet, or man. For more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, check out our website, blogs.va.gov and follow the VA on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, RallyPoint, LinkedIn, DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. No matter the social media, you can always find us with that blue check mark. And as always, I'm reminded by people smarter than myself to remind you that the Department of Veterans Affairs does not endorse or officially sanction any entities that may be discussed in this podcast nor any media products or services they may provide. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you right here next week. Take care.